Hello everyone and welcome to the Positive Vet Nurse podcast channel and I hope that everyone is doing really really well today and today we have a new guest speaker on the channel <laughs> so we have Minnie the vet in oh so. hi sorry yes I'm very excited <laughs> to be here I missed my intro there for a second I missed my cue um yeah super excited to be here thank you so much for having me Lovely. I'm really excited about this uh, podcast. It's a bit different as well. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm hoping that you could tell us a little bit about yourself, Minnie, if that's all yeah. right. Absolutely. So yeah, so I'm Minnie. I am a, a 2016 graduate of the Royal Veterinary College. So I've been a vet now for nearly six years. Um, most people probably know me um, because I have been a CTEL vet for the last sort of 18 months or so. Um, so I worked exclusively uh, with a charity called the Olive Ridley Project, which um, rescued and rehabilitates sea turtles in the Indian Ocean. So I've been living in the Maldives. Um, sadly, I'm back in the UK now. So um, my contract has sort of <laughs> come to an end for a bit. Um, so uh, in the meantime, I sort of do a lot of talks about turtles and um trying trying to write content not doing a great job right now but trying to write content um, and certainly sea turtle vetting is a is now a core part of my being so it won't be long I'm sure before I'm back um but yeah so uh, I've I've been kind of working in a very niche area um so I'm looking forward to talking to you guys about it now yes where have you been <laughs> so I've been so lucky to live in the glorious Bar Atoll in the Maldives which is oh. about 180 kilometers or so um, from Male, the capital city. Um, I lived on an island that was about 600 meters long. Um, so it was a very, very small uh, little sort of paradise island. Um, we, as a charity, so the Olive Ridley Project is in partnership with a resort uh, called Coco Palm. And on that resort, so the resort is the island, the island is the resort. It's not like there are sort of, it's not like a normal habitat to live in. There aren't sort of normal people living there, so to speak. It's just kind of staff and guests. Um, oh. And on that site, we were very lucky to have a fully equipped rescue center and veterinary clinic, um, which was in fact the, one of the first in the entire country. Uh, when it started five years ago so um, I was in charge of the day-to-day -day runnings of that center um, so you sort of in charge of lots of different aspects of the team management managing volunteers um, obviously triaging assessing patients um, surgeries lots of wound care wound management rehabilitation basically getting uh, injured uh, sick and injured sea turtles back to the wild so um, most of what we saw was to do with turtles that had been stuck in discarded fish nets so we saw a lot of really yeah a wide variety of injuries lots and lots of turtles I looked after a lot in my time there um we could just get busier and busier year to year um so yeah I have been living in beautiful 30 degree sunshine the entire time <laughs> wow and when did you start um so I actually arrived back in September 2020 did get hired in February 2020 but of course we all know how that didn't go very well um so I got stuck in the UK for a bit longer than planned but uh, finally made it out September 2020 and then because of COVID I actually stayed out there almost the entire time so I was there I didn't leave the island for a year so I was there on site for the whole mm. year a little break and then came back for another seven months um, so um, yeah I, I was I've been just just come back now basically about two or so months ago I returned from from the Maldives sadly. oh wow <laughs> was it yeah. was it weird being out there during sort of COVID times then it, yeah, I mean, it was definitely a good, like, while you guys were kind of stuck in the UK at Christmas mm. time, I was partying on the beach. There so, you know, go. there was swings and roundabouts. But it was a, yeah, it was, it was a strange one. I, there was sort of times where I didn't have any volunteers, for example, because we couldn't run mm. the volunteering program. We mm. didn't have many guests. So sort of that impacted our donations because we we're an entirely donation funded charity. So there were sort of some aspects, you know, we didn't, uh, we didn't have as much access to like normal foods. So we were restricted to um, like, uh, like very limited food initially when I first arrived for the first like 
four months. Um, so it was, um, yeah, there were certainly some challenges, but um, I was very kind of engr engrossed in my work, I guess. So it didn't really make mm -hmm. it a massive difference that I was living on an island for a year. Didn't really notice. I just took up other hobbies like free diving and snorkeling instead. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the towels kept me busy. So yeah, I didn't have time to think about it, to be honest. Oh, that sounds so good. Lovely. And can you tell us a bit about the Oliver Ridley project that you were a part of, just for people that might not know what it yeah. is, just like a like a brief summary of it? Of course. Yeah. So the Oliver Ridley Project is a UK based charity. Um, we were founded back in sort of 2013 officially. Um, and we our sort of aim is to um, protect sea turtles and their habitats in the Indian Ocean. So we do that through a number of ways, such as rescue and rehabilitation, which was obviously my area, but also things like scientific research into, into aspects of turtle biology, like reproductive biology or spatial ecology, um, all sorts of different things. So that includes like tracking turtles, nesting management, um, surveys all these kind of things and also through education and outreach so we do a lot of um you know things like school visits talks mm. um lectures just trying to get the word out there um and we are we have a few bases around the world so all in the indian ocean so our sort of primary base is the maldives where we do a lot of research we have biologists in situ as well as the veterinary clinic for the turtles and we also have um, other sort of bases in pakistan kenya oman and now the seychelles as well so we are, are we looking to basically just enhance sea turtle conservation in that area so we sort of try and get involved in a more like holistic way to to protect them in all different like life stages so um yeah I, i've been i've sort of loved yeah love working for them they're really ah, really awesome characters. i didn't know that other places like that did did things like this as well mm. they Do don't have any rescue better yeah yeah so th those other places mm. are more like research bases so we don't have um like ah. we are the only place in the maldives that um you know we, the only place we have is uh, the sea turtle clinic is in the maldives mm. um but the other places are where we're sort of expanding our research capacity so mm -hmm. we have biologists and maybe eventually we will have further rehab centers in some of these areas as well so yeah we've been able we've been very lucky to be sort of well supported and we've grown quite big since we began um and now we have you know a lot of staff working in a lot of different areas uh, in a lot of different aspects of conservation so a lot of different experts working on the team hoping to make a make as big an impact as we can that's incredible. Amazing. And how did you get that position? How did it come about? Yeah, that's probably the number one question. It is a little bit random. Yes. Um, I, well, it was a little bit by accident, really, as all awesome things are. I was, um, I've always been very interested in exotics and, uh, you know, my primary focus was, was definitely exotics and reptiles. So I'd always had a focus all the way through uni and through my placements um, and my electives and all of this sort of stuff to be geared towards exotic animal medicine. So I had quite a good basis in that already. Um, but I had not got any sea turtle experience. So I actually, um, the job came up on a uh, conservation website on Facebook, conservation post. I saw it advertised and I had done a few, I had sort of planned a few other things before that. I thought maybe I was going to do an internship. I thought maybe I might do like move to America to be a vet. And then I saw this come up and I was like, nope, this is what I was waiting for. Um, and so despite not having turtle experience, I did have other relevant reptile experience. And I was also quite well um, equipped sort of surgically. I'd been a vet for four years at that point. So I was, I'd done all sorts. I was, I'd been a locum, I'd been all over the place. So I was very well experienced and competent in those kind of things, but no turtle experience. But I managed to, you know, convince them that I absolutely had the, uh, the will and the drive to, uh, to, to extrapolate. I did a lot of study, uh, a lot of, lot of reading and, and sort of, I guess, yeah, extrapolated from the species and the reptile species I had worked on. Um, and so, yeah, I was very lucky and fortunate to be offered the job um, after, yeah, after, despite the fact that before that I wasn't officially a sea turtle vet. So I didn't start an expert, but, uh, and I haven't finished one either, but, you know, at least I, uh, I certainly um, 
I certainly have a, a, a yeah I'm certainly got a very good basis now and I I absolutely love sea turtles so definitely on your CV isn't it <laughs> yeah I mean I did sea turtles day in day out you know literally every single day for 18 months straight turtle life yeah it is the one one of the ninja turtles <laughs> we did have some called I did call one Leonardo oh amazing <laughs> I absolutely love that love that so much and kind of what did your um day-to-day sort of look like at the clinic um so yeah it's such a such an interesting job there were so many parts of it that you couldn't have really predicted I was in charge of everything from um so obviously the day-to-day running at the rescue center so making sure all of the medications and treatments were done lots of different procedures like x-rays ultrasounds I was lucky enough to be very well equipped so our clinic may have been small but we were mighty so I could do all major sort of diagnostics that we would need to try and get these turtles back on track so any one day I might be arranging transport for turtles across the country so our turtles would all arrive on seaplane so I'd be coordinating with the resorts with the seaplane operators uh, with the um you know getting crates built getting things booked in getting flights Ooh. arranged um i would be um training volunteers so we had a weekly or sort of every two to four weeks our volunteers would swap over so we'd have a new bunch so i would make sure they were all kind of trained up in in all aspects of sea turtle husbandry um hiring and training my interns um but yeah the day-to-day sort of core of it was was really sort of getting the turtles um you know we, we had feeding time twice a day which was a chance for me to observe and rehabilitate get these guys done diving if they needed diving help um obviously there was sometimes surgery days which really were surgery days because sea turtle surgeries can take a really long time <laughs> so especially to wake up so um and a lot of guest mm-hmm. education as well so a lot of my time was also spent um coordinating with the guests teaching them about our work um obviously trying to g up some donations as well get get some turtles you know um symbolically adopted um it really was very variable sometimes I'd be out in the sea fixing the tanks like fixing the inflow for the tank system it really was a very varied uh job sometimes I go swimming with the turtles to get them diving again so there'd be like rehabilitation (laughs) sea swim um I could never really pinpoint what a day would look like um it was always off the chain (laughs) wow so it sounds like you weren't just a vet you were you were doing a hell of a lot more it sounds like you're a mechanic yeah, it definitely uh, wasn't just a vet. That's, that's <laughs> I think probably the take home from that is that I really did have wow. a huge uh, like scope of the role. There was a lot, sometimes even things like nesting and hatching management I would be in charge of as well. So data collection, um, all, you know, report writing, presentation giving, uh, so many different aspects, uh, which is what I loved so much is that I really, yeah, I wasn't just a vet. The vet part was one mm. aspect, but I was, I was about five, six, seven, eight other things all at once, which um, was, yeah, it was a great experience. Wow, do you think that helps your confidence, things like that? Yeah, I think, I, you know, when I arrived, I was, I was, um, I was definitely, you know, I was, yeah, I was a confident vet and I was, yes. I was happy with where I was, but I certainly hadn't done much in terms of like uh, direct team management before. So that was not something I had experience in. I trained, you know, I loved training my new grads. I loved training my nurses when I was back in small animal practice. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked being the sort of, I was often the kind of uh, point of call for people for these sort of, you know, discussions or questions. So I, I had like, you know, you have a little bit of a team, something going on, but ultimately I'd never been a manager or a leader or anything like that. So this was a, a chance this was very much a, a chance to develop that a lot more um, and I think that's something that you know obviously you can you can learn to be better at managerial things and leadership skills um, so I'd already had a bit of a you know I thought I could probably do it but I hadn't really tried it and I was a bit worried about it but being on site and sort of do, taking on all of those jobs um, including things like hiring people and, and doing re- performance reviews and these sort of stuff um, you know made me realize actually I yeah I, I could do that and I could learn and I could get the experience that would help me in the future. Yeah, it sounds like you'd be a really chatty person, like a nice person to be around, like for teaching. I think that's really important, isn't it? 
like yeah, to be approachable and exactly I really yeah I really value that in all aspects of veterinary medicine really is being like people can always ask me they always know that they can ask me and still mm-hmm. you know I'm, I'm on the constantly like my phone's on and I'm like got health questions whatever it is I was always very yeah I think it's important to be approachable and make sure that people are aware that like you're not going to judge them for questions um and mm-hmm. they could literally ask me anything at any time and I was you know always always willing to and happy to 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 be there really so I think yeah you've got to foster Aww. that environment yeah I'd love to be a teacher I've um, been applying for jobs this year and uh, the three that I've applied for I had one interview but I didn't get the job but the last two I didn't even get a look in for them and yeah and despite being told by people like even um I was in practice and this uh, locum vet was in and she said oh I remember you and I was thinking oh god I'm really sorry <laughs> oh, no. I don't like I see that many people I said I don't, yeah. oh god I don't remember you yeah. I said I think you're familiar but it's not it's not ringing any bells mm-hmm. and she went oh no you, you really looked after me when I was on a, my EMS I think it is that they they go on the vet students yeah that's so lovely and I was like oh really she went yeah and I kept telling people about you and and others were going oh yeah the the one with the red hair she's really (laughs) um she's really approachable like talk to her she won't make you feel stupid um and that was really nice to hear and I just want to tell these people at these Mm. jobs like interview me because this is what people say absolutely Um, yeah I might get my breakthrough at some point but like like you were just saying like you've got a lot of experience while she was out there um so maybe it's a case of I don't know finding an opportunity like that where you can suddenly learn because you can't you know I haven't got a teaching qualification Mm -hmm. so it's difficult when they want one yeah but you know you can't teach someone to be passionate and you can't teach someone to have enthusiasm and be Mm. a nice nice Mm. overall person I think that's what frustrates me about it but it sounds like you really got like hands-on with a lot of different types of management uh, Mm. like all just lots of stuff didn't you lots of responsibility yeah exactly I think it's that like it's sometimes you know you are just kind of lucky to to sort of stumble across it in one of your jobs which then kind of furthers you in the future so I knew obviously it would be a part a big part of it and I was mm-hmm. I was very like I felt I did have the relevant skill set to to do it although I certainly had like concerns about it because I, I was a bit you know I, I, I was worried about a few things but yeah obviously ultimately I was lucky enough to be given the opportunity to demonstrate that I could do it and then I can then sort of take those and see like be like I have done it now there is there is like records on the you know on the book um but yeah it can be hard to get your foot in the door sometimes mm. with those sort of things with, with spending, especially with managerial and kind of leader roles it can be quite difficult very difficult mm. but um yeah one of the most common questions I had for you mm-hmm. um actually was um was this a volunteering role or did you get paid for it so I did get paid for it um so that's not too much of a um no no No, I think it's important intrusive question (laughs) but um I think maybe a lot of people that will be listening would like to do something like this but I think a lot of things that get in people's way is obviously not being paid to do something Mm -hmm. especially for a long period of time yeah I think it's I think Mm. you know it's a really important question and I I think I actually believe that like being open about your salary in the vet world is quite important because otherwise we can get quite sort of uh lost behind kind of the smoke and mirrors of of everything so no it's no so Mm. I did get paid I think obviously the difficulty is with these kind of jobs um is they still despite the fact it was paid so initially um yeah initially uh actually it was was on the um to the 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 fee the salary sorry was on the job description so it was initially a thousand us dollars a month 
Um, so that equates to about 768 pounds a month. Um, now it's not obviously a huge amount, um, but we did live on site with the accommodation was covered, food was covered, you know, um, flights were covered. So mm. the, a lot of the overheads, I suppose, or the cost of, I didn't even have to wash my own clothes, right? So let's just, you know, take that one as a tick against the, the you know, the way that you don't have to sort of do as much life admin in that sense. So it's, um, I, you know, yeah, I think the opportunity, um, it can be still be hard for people to take because of course these sort of jobs, unfortunately don't necessarily lend themselves to people who might have like mortgages to pay. If you've got a big amount mm. to pay, like leaving something behind for a bit. Whereas I, for example, being the um, one foot out the door individual that I've always been chasing kind of interesting opportunities I had like a rolling tenancy on my flat uh, so I was living uh, before I did the Oliver Ridley project I was living on my own in Sheffield so I had a rolling one month tenancy I didn't have any pets I didn't have a partner or children so all of these things left me in a position that I could quite easily make, make a clean break and and sort of go for it so there is still obviously an element of um of that to consider but it, it is it was a paid position and it is actually the salary is even higher now so um you know they do definitely value the 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 part that we have to play um but it's it yeah and you don't have a lot of overheads basically anything money i got was effectively just pocket money because i lived on an actual island so i couldn't go anywhere <laughs> um oh, couldn't do anything or didn't, didn't need to pay for anything really apart from if i wanted to maybe have a you know a sneaky pina colada at the beach um it, there really wasn't anything to pay for so so actually the savings were probably better than they've ever been <laughs> what was it like out there um to buy things was it actually cheaper out there or were things actually more expensive or I mean the, the thing is you I mean you can buy stuff so the capital city is you know not not too far away and you can arrange to get things on supply boats or arrange to get things on seaplanes but by and large like just making purchases is not really the done thing you can't just be like right I'm internet shopping I've bought three pairs of you know jeans no, they won't make it for like eight weeks if you try and order it from overseas or anything. Ooh. So um, I set up a very, um, you know, interesting chain of uh, volunteers assistants. So if I needed anything for the clinic or even anything for personal items like shampoo or like I needed something that had run out, I would um, contact one of our lovely volunteers who might be coming out from the UK. And I would ask them if they could uh, bring us some swabs or bring us some bandages or something like that. Pop it in the suitcase, bring it over. And that was a quick way of getting your stuff. But by no means could you just sort of go and buy things <laughs> um so but you didn't really need to like there was there was literally nothing you needed to buy you got fed your three meals a day you you know I, I everything I arrived with in my suitcase like almost lasted me the entire year dry shampoo all the like dry 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 shampoos like you know um and that sort of stuff and I just like packed that up at the beginning and I never really replaced it since but there were ways to get stuff but it certainly wasn't um it's not the life that we perhaps were used to to leading we had to had no. to certainly manage um you know I really changed my mindset because I'm a big city girl and I always said to people I was like I'm never gonna move somewhere where there's not lights and things open till four in the morning and blah 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 but as soon as this sort of job opportunity came up I realized that absolutely I had no problem with that if I had an interest sufficiently in in what I was up to so then the fact that I lived on a piece of sand in the Indian Ocean was of no consequence and I happily happily did it despite living very remote oh wow did you get to um like go there before you took on like obviously the big piece of work or, or did someone kind of go over things with the kind of what to expect and things like that yeah you know, it's a good question because it, mm. like it would be very reasonable for people to want to like contact the previous you know people who'd been working there and find out what it was like I didn't do that at all because I knew that regardless of what people said I was going to do it anyway um so mm. I was I I'm always going to have to like make up my own choices about these things so I didn't know I didn't get a chance um the, like the first time I arrived on the island was for the first day of my contract so I didn't see anything I didn't visit before or was you know wasn't able to do that I did of course um have you know I was in communication with the team um 
you know from way before I started officially um, and that you know meant that I had a bit of a, like a digital handover you know with the lead bet of certain things we went over prot you know, protocols and went over running of the center but actually when I did arrive because I've been in a unique position to be the COVID vet there was no one on there was no formal handover on site so the vet that was before me had already left so when I arrived there was um, there was basically no one there although we did have a biologist who was on site who was sort of holding the fort um, but there was that was it really so it was a slightly different sort of setup for me starting I didn't have like anyone on kind of site to take me through the vet role so to speak so I had to sort of um, forge on a bit but yeah no it would make total sense to want to find out what was going on before you got there but I that's not me really I was like no nah, whatever happens like whatever you know I will make up my mm. own opinion and I'm sure I will love it and it I sounds like you just kind of um, seized the day with it you just saw it and you just went yeah I'm doing it regardless you know I'm giving it's it good. a go whereas <laughs> I'd have to think about it for extremely long time <laughs> um I don't think I mean, that's I, unreasonable yeah. <laughs> it's not, unre not a reasonable thing to think about big choices but I I make big choices like bam I'm like right I'm doing it let's get it done <laughs> I wish but, um, I was more like that <laughs> very, very different I, it doesn't necessarily come without its pitfalls because but it makes me I'm very uh, resilient because I don't necessarily think through things 100% before I'm like yeah I'll figure that out so then I have to just work with whatever I, happens because so I can like fix most things because I'm so like I'm so you know like oh let's do this let's do this that I you know I, I'm the sort of person who turns up to a country without having booked a hotel you know I'm just like I'll get there and be like I'll sort it out when I get there oh my um, anxiety is going <laughs> crazy right now. I know most people are like how on earth do you do that I'm like oh, I'm just I'm just a very I'm very laid back but I'm also very you'll just uh, fix it you'll just find I will. a solution there will be a solution I will just fix it um you know wow. and that's the thing I was like I you know the, the job is probably going to be you know it's going to be a lot um but kind of whatever anyone sort of says about perhaps the difficulties of it is unlikely to put me off because mm. just figure it out so that was you know I'm a bit wow. a bit like that but I think it's very reasonable to uh, think through these things I'm just not quite that that way inclined wow no and what what things did you get up to whilst you're out there like did you get to see any of the other islands because I guess in there's a lot of islands around yeah yeah um, there's there's a lot there's a lot potentially to do in the Maldives it's a really incredible country um I mean it's made up of I'd over to go you should definitely try like if you can't go and volunteer volunteer for the Olive Ridley project well, um <laughs> it's more for the um you know mortgage and stuff like you were well, saying earlier yeah. it's it's tough it's tough yeah. to, to sort of balance the two but yeah I mean I, I um the Maldives is made up of over 1,200 islands of which um 130 or so are inhabited and the other 130 are resorts so it's there's a lot um there's a lot going on but the Maldives is um yeah I mean unfortunately again <laughs> I had a very a slightly different experience than most resident vets would just because of COVID so it meant that even though there was a local island literally five minute speedboat and we could see it from the jetty I wasn't able to go there were restrictions on all island movement so really? I, li I literally did not leave the island that I arrived on for a whole year um, well I mean I guess that makes sense mm. um so the, there's more much you know now it's a bit back up to normal now the the any you know the vets and and the um you know people we can actually like go to the capital city for a day or two on the seaplane and come back so there's a lot more uh, obviously the restrictions have, have almost all, all eased now so there's a lot more scope to maybe go and visit but before I left my con before I left the Maldives after my contract finished I did uh, go on like a one month tour around the Maldives so I visited lots of different atolls I went swimming with whale sharks you know I went oh and God. did I went and did as many things as the Maldives can offer before I left there were things I hadn't managed to do during my contract as a result of COVID Wow, did you see any other sharks whilst you was out there? This is always a question. If I ever hear that anyone goes anywhere like in the sea, I'm like, what sharks did you see? <laughs> well, 
yeah, I mean, most of the Maldives land is in the sea, really. So um, we were lucky. We have a, a house reef, so the reef that sort of encircled the island. We would, I'd go swimming on it most days, and we would see things like black tip reef sharks, white tip reef sharks, uh, nurse sharks. None of these are dangerous. Nothing to worry about. They're all completely benign. Oh, really? Um, okay. Yeah, there's, they're, they're very small, quite flighty. Not don't like being around humans. They'll run away immediately. Um, but we'd see quite, yeah, quite a few different sharks. I even um, went down to a beautiful place in the Maldives, which I recommend called for. Muller, which is down in the south so that one of the um nearly the southernmost island of the Maldives has a very unique geographical sort of setup so it has quite a different like flora and fauna so there you can see hammerhead sharks tiger sharks whale sharks um even uh thresher sharks as well so I did see wow. all of the above uh so I've actually seen as many sharks as I could fit in in the Maldives but yeah all, all of them nothing to worry about they're all lovely <laughs> So the, yeah, the, 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 I definitely like the Maldives is obviously like people know of it as a resort place somewhere that people go on honeymoons, but mm. I cannot stress enough actually there's an incredible like the marine life is top notch, uh, one of the most beautiful, you know, marine protected areas in some regards. Uh, and if you go on local islands and you stay on local islands in little guest houses instead of these resorts, then you can actually have a really incredible and more affordable holiday because some of these resorts are like six grand a night. And we don't have time for that. Yeah, this is what I was um, talking to Ruth when she came on the podcast, the uh, Raw Somalian. She, oh, yes. um, she went to the Maldives she did, yeah. and she says you don't need to, you know, fork out all of this money. You could just mm. go to a local island and um, just travel to mm. the different islands if you want to. And Absolutely. it's definitely like got me thinking. It's mm-hmm. definitely something I want to do. But obviously I don't want to be I don't want to pay the ridiculous amount but it's more for the experience for me. I really want to just go and see what what it's like and mm-hmm. be a bit of an island dweller, I think. <laughs> it's, mag- it's magical. I love it. It's like my second, well, it's not my second home now. You know, I spent a lot of time there. So it's a, I've got a lot of friends wow. still there and I, I uh, yeah, I love it very much. That's incredible. Wow. And like, um, what sort of surgeries did you get up to on the uh, turtles? Yeah, so most of what we did, the most of our clinical work centred around uh, flipper injuries. So we were seeing turtles mm. that were entangled in something called ghost gear, which is effectively just discard, lost, abandoned or discarded mm. fish nets. So most mm. of these turtles would be found still stuck in these nets with their flippers, you know, so tightly caught by these nets that the, that the the net was starting to cheese wire through their bones. Um, they would have really horrific injuries. So uh, the, the bulk of our the surgical intervention was actually flipper amputations. So although sea turtles can come back from a lot of things and I have managed, you know, and, and turtle vets will, will tell you, you can pull them back from a, a hell of a lot. So some of these, I've had turtles that have had 70, 80% exposure of their humeral bone, which we can still manage to fix. So they can heal from some really incredible things. But unfortunately, sometimes if they've shattered the bone, it's all gone, it's got to come off. Um, so we would do flipper amputations. I also did things like fish hook removals. So we'd see turtles that have been entangled on long line, uh, large fishing hooks. They'd be stuck in the esophagus. Um, foreign body removals, potentially. So anything that had eaten something. Um, I also did, I even did um, uh, basically spade a turtle at one point because it had a uh, now, unfortunately, the turtle didn't survive. It was a uh, she. She was very weak, but uh, did a yeah. Even at one point, spade one. So I had to basically take out a fallopian tube on a turtle, which obviously you wouldn't usually do on a on a wild animal, which is 
reproductively important uh but she it was so infected it had to go she did have another one though so she would have still been fine to lay um but yeah so it was it was really varied but most of it would be like wound care a lot of wound care so we'd be taking these titles out every one to three days dressing the wounds debriding the wounds Mm -hmm. um there was a lot a lot going on but we could do pretty much anything um you know that would be required to fix these guys I was lucky enough to have the equipment and facilities to do really so uh we didn't have blood machines you know we don't have anything like that so everything I did had to be manual counts of white blood cells so I manually assessed every blood sample every blood smear manual pcvs total proteins that kind of thing um obviously we had but we had x-rays ultrasound and endoscopy so between those three we could really fix most things um unfortunately i think one of the surprising things actually and most people i guess who work with wildlife will tell you that i certainly had an idea that i would save more than i than i perhaps did like i thought i'd go in and like fix everything i was going to be absolute 10 out of 10 turtle hero but when you work with wildlife unfortunately a lot of them just die I mean, they just, they come in and they they die immediately or you just cannot pull them back from the brink. I mean, these sea turtles had sometimes been in the, in the sea for, they've been in the nets for three plus months, maybe. Oh, um, no. They can survive a long time without food. So, you, but they, by the time they get to you, they are emaciated, you know, chronically infected. They have a chronic anemia. Um, they're just an absolute mess. And sometimes despite your best efforts, actually, you you can't pull them back as easily as you think. So I certainly um, had to, I guess, come to terms with the fact that some of these were too sick to fix. Um, but the ones that we could fix, you know, we could make a real impression on. And sometimes they came, you know, they'd stay with me for eight months plus, you know, rehabbing. So there was quite a lot of work that went into some of these guys. Wow. And was there any, um, any of the turtles that you know that they can't be released is there any of them that come about yeah so we we do have um obviously yeah it, it does happen there is always a risk so turtles that have no front flippers for example or are missing more than two flippers could not be yeah. released and unfortunately you know I've, I've had turtles arrive to me missing three out of four flippers so there are um there are some really nasty is potentially they could be entangled by all of them and they could all go feasibly um but the there is we do have one turtle at the rescue center whose name is Heidi who unfortunately could not be released as a result of basically missing both front flippers um, but as he's a good diver his name is Heidi he's actually a boy he was misidentified as a girl so it's Heidi the, <laughs> Heidi the boy um, but he you know he's actually going to be moving to an aquarium so that the, there are some options um, but what we're actually trying to work on one thing that's maybe an interesting cultural and sort of uh, just just a I guess cultural and logistical difference um, between the Maldives and maybe working in the UK is that euthanasia is not something that we have access to yet in the Maldives so um, we it's something we were working on Um, it wasn't so much due to a legal sort of um, or a moral kind of issue with it it was more to do with the fact that the Maldives don't actually have vets Um, so when we when the Olive Ridley project started this rescue center back in 20 well 2017 it officially opened um, we were the first vet in the country so there was there was very it's, it's been a sort of slow process to kind of establish what that means um, for the for the Maldives. So these things take a bit of time, but that's something that eventually will become available to us and will probably be most likely, you know, the, the course of action we prefer to take in the future, because obviously finding aquarium spots for animals or finding captive homes for wild animals is maybe not always in their best interests. Mm-hmm. Um, Heidi's a specific unique case, uh, which we do think he'll do well, but um, I don't think a lot of them would necessarily. So um if they can't be released then actually in, in most cases for wildlife the best thing is to consider euthanizing them of course because mm, i think if they've lost all the flippers i don't 
Uh, no, I don't know how that's much of a life, is no, it? No, it's definitely not. Not for a species like a sea turtle, which is highly migratory. You know, if they can't, if they can't dive, especially like diving is obviously one of their most crucial and key behaviors. They spend all of their life underwater, pretty much. So, if they can't dive, then they haven't got a quality of life that we would really consider acceptable. Um, so, uh, and, and so yeah, without flippers, yeah. sometimes they can't, or without you know. So there's yeah, certainly got to factor in the fact that they are very. They travel thousands of miles a year. Um, and of course, diving, they can't just breathe. They are air breathers. So they obviously have to surface for, for air. But otherwise, they spend 99% of their life under the water, really. Oh, poor little things. <laughs> yeah, poor guys. Some of these guys are real troopers. Oh, bless you. And um, a follower actually asked, um, how do you navigate from working with like your small animals to working with turtles? Like, how did you find that transition? But then you did say you worked with exotics, so that might be... I mean, yeah, I did a bit. Like, not, not. I don't want to oversell how much, you know. I was I was definitely the practice in, the person in the practice who always saw the exotics. Um, you know, I always saw the sugar gliders and, and tortoises and lizards and snakes and whatever else it was, I was very happy to always see. So I was kind of, I was that person in the practice, but I, by no means, you know, was the caseload massive. Um, mm. So a lot of, I think the, people ask me this a lot and I get this from students a lot. And I think it's obviously a great question because some people really know what they want to do even before they've graduated. They know they want to end up in wildlife and conservation medicine or something like that but I would always um I'd always say to people and I always have said and I still I thoroughly believe it which is really that there isn't anything I think that can help you more than getting some general practice experience whether that's large or small or whatever it is getting working in general practice and and dealing with the rigors and the stresses and getting kind of your yourself established surgically and medically and client communication wise and all of these things that that teaches you um, will only serve you in the future because wildlife and conservation medicine jobs like I you know like I've described with my one are generally they're not necessarily super well funded they're very remote they're not um they're not with anyone else a lot of the time you'll be sole charge you'll be managing things uh beyond just the clinic you'll be managing all these other aspects of it as well and these are all things um that you will only really gain confidence in doing if you have a pre-established kind of level of experience working in a more supported place so I, people who want to go straight you know from uni to, to doing that it's not that it's not possible and maybe you know in some cases that might be the right course of action but um you know I was already I'd already been a vet full-time for four years before I took on the role in the Maldives so I had a very you know solid basis in all the kind of core aspects of being a vet which meant that I wasn't having to start completely from zero when I got there you know I was already a very confident I was already confident and competent as a vet so the rest of it was just figuring out the sort of specifics of a new species um but I didn't have to sit there and figure out the whole kind of specifics of being a vet um and you know managing a clinic and all that kind of stuff thing you know so I think um the transition is not actually so difficult really because a lot you know once you work in small animal practice you, or, or for me I worked in small animal practice you see so many things you get all of this experience you can you can take all of that and, and take it somewhere else and I think the veterinary profession is like we're well trained for that you know vets mm -hmm. and nurses are well trained to be very like adaptable and extrapolate their experiences research you know ask advice and and try things that they're not necessarily been trained for specifically but have relevant experience in other fields to to do well so yeah I think it wasn't actually too bad the the difference between turtles and there's I mean there were a lot of anatomical and physiological differences which I had to learn but that information mm -hmm. once it's kind of learned and then the experience just builds on that really oh I love that that's amazing and what would you say is the coolest thing that you saw whilst you're out there 
Oh, there's just so many. I think I've always loved, like, I love wound care. I think um, one of the seeing, like, I've had, you know, seeing one of my patients, um, you know, come in with basically like a flipper that we thought was just going to have to go. You know, the, the whole, the whole like bone was exposed. His humerus bone was exposed. There was almost like no muscle mass anymore. But I was like, I know I can get it. I know I can get it back. Like, if we debride this, there's just mm-hmm. about enough that he can he can do it. And getting to watch that progress, it's actually you can see it happening. Like the wound filling in, the tissue kind of coming back. The you know. Oh debriding away all the necrotic tissue you can kind of see it like coming back every week and you sort of get to see them gain function and I mean just I think there was I couldn't really say everything was so cool like all the turtles I saw I saw over 60 I treated like looked after over like 65 or so over the course of my 18 months like 60 of those being like new arrivals so getting these new guys coming in you know assessing them uh, I think I suppose one of the coolest slash saddest things really was actually being involved in a rescue so one of my my boat crew on the island like the boat crew um, the resort boat crew gave me a call and said they'd found two turtles stuck in a net um so they on the way to the to a guest area somewhere they would they would drive in the guests to, to another resort I think and they came across these two turtles and it was the first time that I'd actually dealt primarily with the turtle being cut out the net most of the time I'm just dealing with the turtle already having been removed from the net by a biologist or a dive instructor oh. or somebody like that they've already been found already mm. been t- picked up on the boat packed up in a box and sent to me after I've arranged flights but this time I actually had to cut them out myself and it was very interesting to see how um just how entangled these were I mean these guys were these these flippers were hanging off they were just these nets were so deeply God. entangled in their flippers it was just um ridiculous really to actually see it so it was very sobering and very eye-opening to actually be the one actively removing them from what is obviously human induced mm, disasters mm. I mean all of this fishing net is is all stuff we've chucked in so it's um that was pretty yeah very interesting very very interesting both yeah. of them survived as well so oh bless yeah I think I saw on your um Instagram you did um a post where the turtle I think he had something mm. with his flipper like oh yeah and it was like a um it was a few week view wasn't it mm. of how how you got on with it yeah and how yeah. it looked at the end that was actually the one I was talking about he had, had yes. one of the most severe wounds that I had dealt with um and in fact so severe that the other flipper which was actually worse than his other one unfortunately he actually I iatrogenically broke his flipper when he was moving because he had no muscle mass around the bone and it snapped so I had that one had to be amputated I was I could I was hopeful I could have saved it but then he actually unfortunately snapped it so I couldn't fix that but the other one which was as bad um because obviously yeah the risk is when they have both flippers that entangled that maybe if they can't be saved then they can't go home so I have to like absolutely save well ideally both obviously but at least one has to has to make it um so yeah like that was an incredible wound but it just goes to show these guys can really come back from ridiculous stuff I mean he was he was a real a real yeah he really did it very well oh and what was your most unforgettable Mm. moment of the whole trip would you say like (laughs) what is something that just got you going (gasps) I I love um on top of my job as a vet being on site I also like I said I did some of the nesting stuff as well and so getting to um watch baby turtles run into the ocean that's mm. that's pretty rad that never gets that never gets boring so getting to actually witness the kind of whole cycle um mm. seeing these seeing these giant turtles I mean we were we the resort had nesting green turtles and green turtles can grow up, grow up to 150 kilos sometimes bigger than that they can grow up to like two three meters long some of the really big ones so we'd have these like 100 kilo female turtles dragging themselves onto the beach to lay their eggs and it, that was pretty amazing wow yeah I bet that's cool because um someone did ask um how do you spot a turtle nest 
Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. They um yeah, well that's the thing. Ideally, you can't. If a if a sea turtle has done her job well, I mean you can see the after effects of where she's been. So what you can do is you can see the tracks that she leaves in the sand. You can see all of the mess that she makes when she's like digging her hole and covering the nest. But she's doing all of that so that you actually can't directly identify where the actual chamber of the eggs is. Now obviously if you're well trained and if you're uh, if you're if you're a trained biologist or a turtle conservationist, then you will know how to find that nest. Um, but actually Actually, the point of it really is that you shouldn't be able to because she's done such a good job that no nothing can find it because um, she's trying to hide it from they, they they don't get any parental support these babies so the moment these eggs are dropped in the nest the mother is out of there and there is no support or like protection provided so the only real protection is provided by her making a good job of hiding them wow <laughs> what a good mama yeah they do good jobs oh we do don't we women we <laughs> yeah exactly get that stuff done <laughs> oh yeah and um one of your followers actually asked um what do turtles actually eat and how long do they sleep for and I thought that was quite a nice little question because I'd quite to know like I'd quite like to know as well (laughs) that's a good question um turtles well there are seven species of turtles worldwide um and their diets can be quite variable depending on their environment um for example we have something like the hawksbill turtle which we found a lot in the Maldives one of the most abundant turtles in the waters of the Maldives the hawksbill eats almost entirely soft corals and sponges so it has a really really specific diet whereas the green turtle when it gets to an adult eats almost entirely seagrass so that's also very unique um whereas the turtle that i dealt with most of all which was the olive ridley turtle hence the name of the charity the olive ridley sea turtle yeah it's not a person i thought it was initially a person but yeah, it's actually I thought... a species of yeah. turtle <laughs> yeah so the olive ridley turtle is a uh, one of the two ridley turtles and these guys spend most of their life out in the deep open ocean um they're considered a pelagic species so that means they don't really live on the shore area they only come to shore to breed Um, And these guys will eat all sorts. So they'll eat things like crustaceans and crabs and like Mm. things like potentially squid and jellyfish and potentially like seagrass, algae, things that live in the sandy bottom of the ocean. So little little ethnic organisms. Um, It really is very variable. Their diet sort of reflects the fact that they live where food is not nearly as abundant. So they will eat all sorts. I think maybe there is a bit of a misconception about their fish eating because at the rescue center, we fed them fish. Now, this was because fish was very easily available, mm. highly nutritious, uh, palatable to the patients, um, but it doesn't actually reflect a massive portion of their diet in the wild. They would perhaps eat some fish, um, but they're not actively hunters. These guys, they're not going to like, they're not very fast. They can't like chase food down. Mm. You know, a sea turtle cannot move that speedily. Um, no. Not really, not enough to, you know, be probably chasing down fish all the time. So um, they do, um, they do maybe eat, maybe eat small fish and things like that, but not as a core part of their diet. Sorry, I'm going to cough. <laughs> Pardon me. That's fine. I didn't know if any of the listeners can hear, but my neighbours, she was having a coughing fit not that long ago, and I was like, I hope no one can hear this, but she's been like it for a few days, so I'm, I don't know if COVID's got her. <laughs> Finally, um, but got she's not long ago. She's very um. I could. I probably shouldn't. I won't say anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we'll stop it there. We'll stop it there just in case she listens. <laughs> we'll stop there. <laughs> But yeah, sorry if anyone um, heard yeah. that. But yeah, don't worry. I keep feeling like a little tickly coming on, but I think it's because I'm talking and yeah, then my throat goes really dry. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's really cool about about them, the turtles. Yeah, pretty, they are pretty rad. They've got very interesting biology. Yeah, very I'm interesting. A, I appreciate, like, I uh, I encourage everyone to become a turtle nerd. Uh, read up about them. They're super interesting. <laughs> I think I will now. It sounds super interesting. Like I didn't know that about the um 
Oliver Ridley. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Game and how it came about. Um, yeah, very cool. I'm a very ignorant slut. <laughs> um, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Not everyone's meant to know about turtles. That's pretty niche. Don't worry. That's, I guess that's mm. that's my job. But <laughs> I've just got yeah. a bit of a shark nerd. Oh, that's only cool, because I, only because I'm scared of them though. So, understand them then I guess and you won't be scared of them right you know you learn more and you yeah. can reduce your anxiety about them that's, how that's it quite enjoy important. watching the um you know people that get drones and go over the seas yeah I'm really into that drone really. drone work is amazing I was lucky enough to work with quite a few biologists in the Maldives who were drone pilots oh, um, wow. and sort of um that's you know drones in conservation are a really fascinating sort of mm. thing we use them a lot now like uh, the, the Maldives has a marine protected area called Hanifaru Bay which is located in Bar Atoll so the atoll I lived in it's a it's a very famous um site for manta ray aggregations so you can get upwards of 250 280 manta rays feeding at once during certain seasons so that's pretty oh. magical but what they'll do is they use uh, drones. I mean, these used to have to go out in boats and check, but now, of course, in these sort of areas, you can use drones to fly over and actually assess population from above. So, really awesome, non-invasive way of tracking population changes in areas. Um, turtles as well you can use that to track on nesting beaches you can count how many tracks you're seeing so you can get an idea of abundance of nesting females. And I think drones are just amazing, and I want to be a drone pilot too. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> my my auntie's got her drone license. That's cool. And she goes over um over Canada. Wow. Looking I think at lots so of different things. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. All things about drones are just very cool. Yeah, they are, aren't they? I think they're expensive pieces of kit. Yeah, I don't know if I'm ready to invest quite yet. Uh, but I do know some cool people who could probably teach me if I wanted to, you know, get good before I invested my money. Yeah, I think <laughs> uh think definitely have a go before. <laughs> yeah, something to test out. That's amazing. And um Earlier you said about um, getting the turtles to swim. Can you mm. tell us a bit more about the turtle swimming? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> a bit of a strange part of the job. I mean, like like before, I used to take dogs for walks, but in my new job, yeah. I took turtles for swims. And it's uh, not something we did for all patients. It, uh, it was something that we could do because of the geography of where we were. So being the, the Maldives is, is a lagoon based, so that meant the sea was generally very calm. So we mm. were lucky. It's not something you could do. Like if you were working as a sea turtle vet off the coast of Florida, you would not be mm-hmm. taking turtles out swimming um the weather is just not not like that but in the Maldives we were lucky to have that and although we had great tanks and we had you know we had a we had tanks that were seven five meters by seven meters and two meters deep so we had some really well-equipped big tanks which will allow our turtles to dive and swim normally but for some there was still going to be issues and diving was a big problem um, something called buoyancy syndrome affected a lot of our patients and this effectively is a condition where they can't dive and it can come about for a number of reasons generally one of three sort of physiological reasons mm. but the end result is that they can't pull themselves under um, and this can take a long time to recover and of course if they can't dive they can't leave so they can't they can't survive if they can't dive so they can't be released until they have normal buoyancy control so for some patients the best thing was that we would take them in the sea and we would we would take them out uh, into the lagoon um, and basically let them go in a, in a sense we would let them swim on their own so we wouldn't harness them or, or hold them or anything sea turtles always hate human contact so they are not tactile species they are very stressed out by people um, and so we would just try and make sure we remained as far away as possible uh, let them let them go off let them practice the the motivation of being outdoors in their normal environment was often a huge you know a huge thing compared to them being in the tank um, mm. And so they would, yeah, a lot of them would be able to recover that way. So there were some patients I'd be swimming every like two days or so when the time allowed, um, really getting them up 
to speed with the sort of the strength of the flipper and, and just getting them motivated to try really some of them would just stop trying um if they were in the tank for too long they were just lazy so we had to sort of get them going again and yeah we were able to release some really long-term patients sort of using this these methods and it's yeah not not for every patient um some of them would just be diving fine and so we could just release them immediately um as soon as they were recovered from surgery but we had some one of our longest patients was there nearly for she was two years eight months and 11 days before we were able to release her so some of these guys will take mm. a huge amount of time to recover their buoyancy but we can usually get them there i bet it's really um i bet it's really nice to see when mm. they when a patient of yours does get better and yeah. you know if they've been in a long time and they suddenly um are ready to go back yeah i bet that's really re- rewarding is the word i was going yeah. for no it definitely is one of the, the best part really is like people would ask me if i was sad to see them leave and i'm like no not at all absolutely buzzing to have them go <laughs> because uh no mm. part of the the job obviously was was to try and keep these guys they're wild animals um and and the goal was to always get them back out there so as much as i loved them and they had very different personalities they were very individual very very interesting creatures but still very happy to see the back of them um and people you know again would ask about like oh do you think they like you do they learn to like you or no the answer is a giant no they will never learn to like you they will never learn to they don't they don't form social bonds themselves really so they don't they don't form relationships with humans they don't like to be touched they find human interaction inherently stressful I feel like this is me yeah yeah we're all a bit turtly sometimes yeah Mm. yeah they just don't they don't want any of that they don't want any of that at any point no matter how long they've seen you for so um they I I think that's fine you know that's good I actually spend a lot of my time advocating for that concept I think you know humans are quite um keen on thinking that animals love them um we we really want animals to to form a relationship with us we want them to sort of appreciate or understand our efforts um but it can lead us to anthropomorphize and inappropriately treat them um you know like if yes. we yeah exactly so you know all animals suffer from this to a degree but especially reptiles who have very different behaviors to the dog or to the to, I would say to dogs which is basically what everyone thinks animals are all animals are like dogs to people so they assume they like the same kind of petting or the same kind of interaction mm-hmm. and of course turtles and most species of animal in fact apart from dogs and cats are really not tactile animals so it, you know we I spend a lot of time sort of talking to guests about this and sort of educating people about um about yeah about the fact that we don't need them to love them to do you know to love us to do a good job um and in fact it's better to keep them at a distance because it makes sure you treat them appropriately I never handled these guys unless absolutely necessary we made sure that respect for them yeah, exactly respect for them and for their boundaries and for the fact that they are in an inherently stressful situation being out of their natural environment um and that it's okay if they don't like you <laughs> uh, it doesn't make your work any less valid um in fact it probably makes you you treat them a bit a bit more appropriately and and not sort of yeah not sort of get into your head that they maybe appreciate your presence because they really don't <laughs> um, oh but i still love them that's really interesting that's really interesting yeah. to know yeah um and before you went was there anything that you wish that you knew how to like prepare yourself like better Mm -hmm. to be the best sea turtle (laughs) vet and that is something that a follower (laughs) oh yes (laughs) um shout out to that person I think I know who you were um yeah I think do you know what it's it's really hard to say I think every um the nature of sea turtle veterinary medicine being such a niche part of, of the profession it's very hard to tell you what kind of you know where you where you end up will really dictate I think how what the kind of experience you have you know there are some huge and amazing sea turtle hospitals in Florida um, where they have CT scanners available and they have a really you know um, a very sort of it's a hospital system you know they, what we would pro, pro, uh, sort of see in small animal hospitals in the UK they have for turtles there so that that's obviously quite a different environment but at the same time 
very similar perhaps to what we've otherwise been doing just with a different species. Whereas working in the Maldives in that clinic uh, with the charity was, was an entirely different experience than I've been um, used to. And, and, the, and if you work around the world, there are other parts where there are sea turtle, you know, um, clinics or, or rehab centers, which are again, just very, yeah, very different to what you're used to. So it's quite hard to predict where you might end up with sea turtles. Um, but I think um, just, yeah, you know, it was working in a new, a new culture, a new environment. Um, just, you really have to just be very ready to roll with the punches. I think um, there's, there's very little that with, with this job that I could really like predict how it would pan out in a sense. I just um, had to make sure I was kind of always doing my best at every point and, and sort of, um, maybe, you know, it's, it's hard to say, I think from, I suppose from what things I would have, what would I have liked to know? It's a good question. I don't know. I don't think anything really could have prepared me. So <laughs> in the best possible way, it was just a very, um, you just go with role. the flow. Yeah. Very unique role. I think obviously mm -hmm. the more that you can, um, the, the, just the actual core sea turtle medicine, like there is one big textbook um, on sea turtle medicine and that's never bad to have a have a look through that sort of making sure that you have a really good basis I you know I had a lot of time to research and I certainly turned up with a huge amount of like I think what was good quality theory that I could then like act upon um, obviously with the advice of other turtle vets mm -hmm. and people more experienced than me um, so it, I was just making sure like I was really au fait with all the all of those things first and the more kind of research you can turn up with especially if you're going to be working with some new you know new species um, absolutely the better but I think probably the the biggest thing is just um, yeah you and probably that you won't save as many as you think in a very macabre way I think wildlife work is quite sobering um, because it doesn't mm. it doesn't have the same kind of control that you might have been used to when you were working in smallies um, with you know people who present their animals very early in the disease process you're used to you're yeah. used to success you know like before I before I moved to the Maldives before I worked with sea turtles I don't think I'd ever lost an animal under anesthetic I don't think ever once I had ever lost an animal and then quite quickly like with these guys I, I'd, I'd lost you know I'd lost like a few within a matter of months and uh, and I was like my god is this me am I the problem um, mm -hmm. but actually yeah. no like some of these guys were absolutely just beyond saving really they were so emaciated and malnourished and 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 just Aww. weak and anemic and all these kind of things things that made them very poor candidates and very hard to pull back from the brink so I think it's yeah also coming to terms a little bit with the fact that they uh wildlife medicine is a bit more fraught <laughs> uh yeah. than, than what you're perhaps used to yeah it's difficult isn't it um oh poor little babies yeah, poor guys. they did try their best oh well it sounds like you definitely tried your best <laughs> with them anyway um so someone that's listening now they really want to do this mm -hmm. what do they do mm -hmm. how do they go about it how can you do it it is uh so yeah obviously sea turtle medicine again is, is pretty niche um it's one of those things that you know can be hard to get into um it's um, I guess there's a few good things though. So for one, the Olive Ridley Project does have volunteering programs. So if you're interested in considering whether sea turtle medicine is for you, then we take everyone, not just, uh, you don't have to have any animal experience, sea turtle experience. So we do take just, uh, you know, normal laymen who aren't medically trained um, as volunteers, but we also can take vets and nurses as well. And the chances are you might get a little bit more, you know, hands-on if, if you're already a vet or already a nurse. So um, mm. that is maybe, a, you know, a really good way to see if the, like the lifestyle or the, the nature of practice or the medicine aspect or the species and all that kind of stuff if that's for you so the volunteering program is is really great you get a chance to do a lot and uh, and it would maybe give you a good a good way to yeah good way to assess um obviously i think like i said before getting just a lot of experience in general practice will never serve you badly because you know i couldn't i wouldn't have been hired for the job unless i had the experience that i had before um because it wouldn't i wouldn't have had you know a track record that i could 
you know, being a, a vet in just normal situation, let alone with a new species. So I think, you know, obviously gearing yourself towards exotics where you can. So doing a lot, you know, tortoises, snakes, other reptiles, um, trying to, you know, getting a handle on, on the differences physiologically and, and behaviorally to reptiles. Um, and then, you know, that, that will certainly help you. Those things are extrapolate, extrapolatable. I'm not sure if that's a word, but um, those things can be extrapolated much more easily. You know, if you've got that basis in exotic medicine, um, so, um, and, and just, you know, yeah, try, there are lots of great volunteering programs around the world as well that, that offer volunteering, not just with turtle medicine, which is a bit harder to find. Um, the Oliver mm -hmm. Ridley project is one of the few I can really think of that, that has more of a veterinary based approach, but even other aspects of sea turtle conservation, like, like sea turtle reproductive biology. So nesting and hatching programs, um, making sure you find one that is, is, is sound. Uh, that's probably a whole topic in itself, making yes. sure we find an, an ethically, uh, uh, sort of sound hatching program because there are some slightly dodgy ones first I guess main rule is if you see the hatchlings in buckets of water that's no bueno so that's one thing to rule out but no there are a few bueno. other, no bueno there are a few <laughs> other things to think about but you know that's something we could always um you know there are there are good resources out there to find that so you know getting involved in other aspects of turtle um you know, turtle experience of all kinds is helpful not just you know not just directly the veterinary stuff because if you've got a good understanding of turtles in general um it'll be easier for you to to pop over to uh, to finding a turtle role but also being willing to move you know of course if you're uk based and you're listening you're not going to find the turtles here apart from one or two that wash up in anglesey like every five years um so it's, sea life center yeah, like there's a few, there's a few, like sometimes you can see leatherbacks off the coast of Wales. That's a fun fact. Uh, and every now and then there was a, there was a loggerhead and there was a Kemp's Ridley that washed across from the coast of Florida uh, in some particularly bad storms and ended up in Wales. So it happens. Wow. But by and large, you know, turtles are not going to be on your horizon if you're in the based in the UK. So it's, it's also mm -hmm. being, you know, willing and, and able to, um, to, to move your life a bit um it's it, you know that's certainly not necessarily something everyone can do but if you if sea turtles are your goal then you have to be a little bit flexible yeah I think you just have to uh take the opportunity and go for it don't you I think with that yeah just grab it grab by the horns <laughs> and okay. uh, if, if you're if you're keen give it a shot yeah that sounds really good did you have many um vet nurses there I did have a few yeah I was lucky enough to to welcome quite a few vet nurses uh, as volunteers um including like a you know a good friend of mine who came out to visit as a, as a nurse so yeah our volunteers were very variable I had everyone from like lawyers to A&E doctors to um like beauticians to wow. vets and vet nurses so we we I, I loved how our volunteering program really did account for everyone so if you were interested I would train you in whatever you needed to know um and uh, and you could still be very valuable to the team so it doesn't really matter what your experience was we would we would happily uh, teach you more so but yeah sometimes we had nurses and that'd be great because I could be like okay guys you go and sort the clinic out you know you can let's help me with inventory and I don't really have to explain how this works whereas if it was maybe someone else I'd have to kind of explain the intricacies of what doing an inventory means but you know it's always great to have someone who was trained because otherwise I was the only clinical member of staff on site so um it meant that all the clinical work would otherwise fall to me so it's quite nice to have someone else who we could share that load with um, nice yeah good fun that's good and a bit off topic like outside of work what what do you like to do well, when it was in, when I was there, I, I have, I have very, I have lots of hobbies. I definitely am quite an eclectic person, um, but my hobbies certainly changed. So I, I got really into free diving. So I was trying to, oh, to uh, learn how to free dive. My, my friends on the island gave me a dive computer for my birthday so I could try and beat my personal best. Um, so I would, I was practicing, you know, I spend my afternoons trying to practice breath holds and like get underwater for longer. Um, I did scuba as well. So I, I, I got my uh, advanced open water while I was there. So I would try and go diving whenever I could 
Um, and I also just love snorkeling. We just go snorkeling every single, like every single day if we could go and find the turtles, the sharks, the rays. Um, and apart from that, my hobbies were napping. So if I wasn't at work, yeah. I was chronically exhausted <laughs> um, and, uh, and uh, just catching up on R&R outside. I always thought I'd be the person who'd live on this island. I'd be like an island babe. I'd be going to the sunsets and sunrises. I'd maybe even be doing yoga on the beach. No, I took an <laughs> inordinate amount of naps, like naps twice a day, three times a day. Sometimes at peak season when I was that busy, I'd be like, right, lunchtime nap. Try and, and then you know, I do that in the quiet season when I was still busy and then when I was actually busy busy there was no time for that I'd have like no days off for weeks on end sometimes so just um catch up when I could but I know mm. I absolutely loved it it was a uh, I just had to sort of yeah change my um free time structure a bit yeah it sounded like you just had like the most incredible time I just I absolutely loved it I miss it I miss it I'm so envious yeah oh, gosh that'd be amazing and uh sort of like last question I'm gonna ask Mm -hmm. is um what's your plans for the future (laughs) so at the moment so my long-term plan certainly um you know as I consider myself a sea turtle vet you know like uh, I'm I'm (laughs) very much um that is very much my passion now I really I didn't think I wanted to be with one species I thought my part of my love of being a vet was that it was a variety but actually it turns out I really Mm. like just being on it with one so I was very happy just to um get really good at, at seeing one species that appealed to me in the end um so that uh, I definitely will end up I have a slightly there's been a few sort of circumstantial changes to um to my plans at the moment just some family stuff so I'll be staying put in the UK for a bit um and uh, and and well probably for, for a little while um and getting a role here for a bit so I'm um I'll be a small animal vet again mm. but it's uh in the mean and the other things I, I do sort of alongside that though is I um I still kind of do talks and still um sort of I stay pretty involved in CTA veterinary stuff so it certainly won't be um the last and then maybe one day maybe one day I'll end up back in the Maldives who can say we'll have to see <laughs> you've got to go back I do love it it's a blooming lovely but yeah so now the, the I mean yeah the plans are we'll see what we'll see where life takes me again <laughs> yes <laughs> oh bless you um well no thank you ever so much for coming on the podcast today I've really enjoyed it it's been like a really good talk something a bit different <laughs> um which I'm sure like everyone is going to be interested in um because it's just something so cool um thank you for having me you've inspired inspired me (laughs) shucks no I appreciate it thank you for having me very uh you know thank you to whoever suggested me coming on um I realize I probably can talk quite a lot but I just my whole personality is turtles now so what else is there to talk about so um, (laughs) I love love it thank you for listening to me no thank you and um take care everyone listening Bye. Bye. Bye-bye.